welcome to Barely Audible Whisper, a weekly NPR parody podcast in no way associated with NPR, brought to you in no part by the following parody sponsors. Deep Throat. The defining scandal of the Nixon presidency is linked to the movie Deep Throat, while the defining scandal of the Trump presidency is linked to the movie Red Dawn. But of the two movies, at least Deep Throat sucked on purpose. The month of February... The Red Dawn emails revealed that infectious disease experts warned Trump about coronavirus in early January and boiled over with frustration when he refused to act during the entire month of February. Ironically, the most racist president in modern history took Black History Month off. In Red Dawn, a movie with a paranoid far-fetched plot about Soviets invading America defines the Trump presidency, while a cheap porno defines President Nixon's. Somehow that seems backwards. I am Dave. And I am Molly. And our voices lack in volume what President Trump's coronavirus response lacks in coronavirus response. Our top story this week. According to an article from Medium.com, a small tuberculosis hospital in San Antonio, Texas... I'm sorry, did you say tuberculosis hospital? Aren't tuberculosis hospitals relics from the old-timey days? I got the TB. Get me the nearest doctor slash Bible salesman in the county. You're in luck. I just came back from the World's Fair where I bought a bicycle with a cartoonishly oversized front wheel and the latest and greatest medical cure known to man. Antibiotics? Never heard of it. I'm going to drill a hole in the side of your head. Shouldn't you give me some anesthesia first? Never heard of it. Here, bite down on this germ-soaked rag. Are you cured? <laughs> Doctor TB, the guts still lie. Huh. Not only does the patient still have tuberculosis, she is talking in backward sentences. Better drill a hole in the other side of the head. As it turns out, tuberculosis, although incredibly rare, is still around, and the type of masks they use at the 170-bed Texas Center for Infectious Diseases, the only remaining tuberculosis hospital in America, may offer a solution to the current N95 mask shortage. For more on how tuberculosis masks may help alleviate a shortage on COVID-19 masks, Barely Audible Whisper turns to Lois Reitzes, the host of NPR's City Lights. Because Lois Reitzes has a voice that sounds like tuberculosis had sex with COVID-19 and produced a radio broadcaster. Hello, I'm NPR journalist Lois Reitzes, reporting to you from the Texas Center for Infectious Diseases where it took me three days to convince the staff that I'm a journalist and not a tuberculosis patient. Ooh, this one's in really bad shape. Uh, We might need to intubate. Oh, wait, never mind. It's just Lois Retzis. Here at the Texas Center for Infectious Diseases, they use reusable ventilator masks called 7700 ventilators are cheaper and more effective than the N95 masks. The 7700 ventilator masks are great. They filter out 99.97% 
uh, particles versus the 95% that the N95s filter out. And as long as we sanitize them properly at the end of our shift, the masks last indefinitely and the filters last for an entire year. We spend about $2,000 a year on the 7700s, whereas using N95 masks would cost us about $40,000 a year. The 7700 masks are made out of what's called elastromeric material that fits more safely and snugly around the face. So why have companies such as Honeywell, which produces N95 masks, as well as elastromeric masks, been pushing N95s? Not because it's more profitable to sell a cheaper disposable product, that's for sure. I spoke to a Honeywell representative. Do you have tuberculosis? I thought that disappeared in the old-timey days. Who immediately had me airlifted back to the tuberculosis hospital in Texas. I've never heard a voice so stricken with tuberculosis. I will... Never mind. It's just Loetretsis. But not before making the following statement. If it costs the hospital two grand a year for elastomeric masks and 40 grand a year for N95, which ones do you think I'm gonna sell? <coughs> the one that best serves the patients and staff, of course. Oh, we've been getting non-stop calls from hospitals all over the country about our masks, so I've been referring people to Honeywell. I really wish they'd stop doing that. Ah! <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to help in any way that I can make money. <laughs> I mean, in any way I can. Period. End of sentence. Nothing about money checked on to the end. The only drawback is that the uh, disposable masks are a lot more convenient. See? There's a drawback. Yeah, looks like we better stick with the N95s because they're more profitable. <laughs> I mean convenient. And you can't put a price on convenience. Oh, actually you can. At our hospital, it's about $38,000 a year. But given the extra protection I get, and especially considering the national shortage of PPE, a slight inconvenience seems like a small price to pay. Price! That nurse said price. Everybody heard her. It's the greedy nurses that are obsessed with price. For barely audible whisper, I'm... Oh, uh, this patient needs immediate assistance. Lois Retsis. Oh, never mind. Never mind. It's just Lois Retsis. Reporting from a tuberculosis hospital in San Oh, no. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, put this electromeric mask on you. Well, an old technology may be the solution to a new problem. Holy shit, these masks really work. Sioux Falls, South Dakota became relevant this week for the first time since ever 
when an outbreak of coronavirus at the Smithfield meat processing plant made Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the largest hotbed of coronavirus in the world. The outbreak of coronavirus in South Dakota made South Dakota Governor Christie with an I know him also relevant for the first time since spelling Christie with an I fell out of fashion. Unfortunately, while the stupidity of spelling Christie with an I is merely annoying, the stupidity of Governor Christie with an I know him has proven deadly. Stay-at-home orders, like proper name spellings, are not necessary. For more on the dumb governor of South Dakota's dumb response to the coronavirus in her state, Barely Audible Whisper turns to our dumb governor correspondent and the dumb governor of our dumb home state of Georgia, Brian Kemp. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp here. Two weeks ago, I claimed that the brand new three-month-old information that coronavirus could be spread by carriers who don't feel symptoms was a, quote, game changer. I'm working closely with the Trump administration to reopen the meat processing plant where this outbreak started as quickly as possible because I'm so dumb, I think that's what's important right now. Turns out there's a governor who's even dumber than me. (laughs) Game changer. Please, Governor, I'm begging you to issue a stay-at-home order. That was Sioux Falls Mayor Paul Tenhagen, who capitalizes the H in the middle of his last name for no apparent reason, because apparently there are no rules when it comes to name spelling in South Dakota. Everything is under control. She actually said everything is under control. Now, now I may just have learned what the word asymptomatic means two weeks ago, but even I realized that an outbreak of 126 confirmed cases connected to one meat processing plant where 3,700 employees work shoulder to shoulder in a town whose population is barely over 150,000 is a game changer. Please, Governor, if our residents don't shelter in place to stop the spread of this virus, the number of cases will continue to grow exponentially. I learned recently that exponentially means a lot. (laughs) Game changer. The spread of coronavirus follows a predictable pattern, and there are proven mitigation measures that must be taken to stop that spread. It's not like capitalizing letters in your last name where you can do whatever you want. I can spell Christy with an I if I want. That's called freedom. Freedom means that the citizens of South Dakota can gather in groups as large as they want and breathe and cough all over each other if they want because America was founded on a right to spread germs and misspell first names. What if you issue a stay-at-home order, but you spell stay with an I? Oh, that's tempting, but no. People will die because of this. We're bending the curve. No, we're not. Our number of confirmed cases is doubling every four days. We're bending the curve upward. The idea is to flatten the curve. Okay, ever since this outbreak started, I've been doing interviews on Fox News and having conversations with President Trump. A woman can't expect to keep getting booked on Fox and talking to Trump if she flattens her curves. Governor Noam. 
If you would just look at these charts that I've been using at press conferences that demonstrate contagion rates relative to the implementation of mitigation strategies. With all due respect, Mayor 10 Capital H. Haken, uh, as a dumb governor, I can tell you that dumb governors don't respond to fancy graphs that show a bunch of fancy information, especially if you use a bunch of fancy phrases like contagion rates and relative implementation and mitigation strategies. I mean, what even is a strategy? It's a plan for achieving a goal. Oh, you mean like uh, suppressing the black vote? That's not what I had in mind, but I guess if that helps you. Uh... Oh, it helps a hell of a lot. <laughs> South Dakota is not New York City. <laughs> she actually said that. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. A governor who's so dumb that she thinks South Dakota is not New York City is a meaningful argument is too dumb for your fancy information graph with your fancy contagion rates. I mean, those are Democrat words. I'm a Republican. A Republican who believes in science like it's a capital H in the middle of a last name. <laughs> it's not necessarily against the rules, but you, you just don't ever see it. I'm just trying to save my constituents' lives. Look, if you want to get through to a dumb governor, you've got to dumb it down to levels so dumb you feel dumb dumbing it down that dumb. We're doing a great job. We must stay the course. Now those are direct quotes. You're going to have to dumb it way down. Death is bad. Less death is good. Stay at home orders makes less death. Less death is good. Don't care. I'm going on Fox News. Fox News believes government is bad, which means less government is good, which means not governing is the best way a governor can govern, which means they love me. She's dumb and heartless. <laughs> Game changer. Washington Post was first to report that the mailing of approximately 70 million coronavirus relief checks to Americans will be delayed by several days so that President Trump can put his signature on the memo line. The president has denied knowing anything about the decision to put his name on the checks, while also claiming to know that no delays were caused by the decision he did not know about. And so, as part of our ongoing commitment to giving the benefit of the doubt to people who don't deserve the benefit of the doubt, Barely Audible Whisper constructed a scenario in which the decision to put President Trump's name on the checks was neither politically motivated nor ordered by the president. It's been weeks since Congress passed the bipartisan law authorizing these payments, but we can finally get them out to the people who desperately need them. Yeah, it's just too bad we weren't allowed to use President Trump's signature. Mm. He's got such beautiful handwriting. It really would have made the checks look nice. We've been over this. It's illegal for the president to be the official signatory for government checks. Why would they pass a law that denies the American people the aesthetic privilege of President Trump's masterful calligraphy? Apparently, there's an irrational fear that if the president signs a government check, it might politicize the nonpartisan process of distributing government rebates. That's ridiculous. Are people really so cynical that they think President Trump would try and improperly obtain political loyalty 
by dishonestly overrepresenting his importance in the passage of a bipartisan law? I mean, obviously there's nothing in Donald Trump's personal history to suggest he would ever slap his name on something for branding purposes. Clearly, whoever wrote that stupid law never anticipated a presidential signature as visually appealing as President Trump's. How could they? Most presidents are too busy doing actual work to take the time required to produce such a carefully crafted handwriting. That's the beauty of Trump's signature. It's the life's work of a man whose life's work has been creating the appearance of work while avoiding doing actual work. He's definitely had a lot of practice then. The number of times he's filed for bankruptcy alone requires more signatures than most people sign in a lifetime. You just don't get it, do you? It's not the number of documents he signed. It's the manner in which he signed them. Most presidents take the time to know what they're signing and why they're signing it. In fact, they care so much about the ramifications of their signature that they neglect the signature itself. But President Trump is just the opposite. Exactly. By not spending any time learning anything about anything he signs, President Trump is free to pursue the completely vain and superficial perfection of the world's most obsessively branded signature. And now, because of some stupid law designed to prevent the president from wielding the national treasury like a Roman emperor, the American people now have to settle for a check signed in the barely legible scribble of some stupid treasury department bureaucrat. Hey, that stupid bureaucrat is me. Ugh, your signature sucks. It's good enough to sign your paychecks. Yeah, and I'm embarrassed every time I have to go to the bank. I sign a lot of checks. I'm very busy. It shows. It's true. It's bad enough that these people have been out of work a month, and we're just now getting around to sending out a one-time payment of not enough money to help in a meaningful way. But now we're adding insult to injury by sending them a check with the slapdash signature of a manager who actually has work to do. I think I figured out a loophole. The law says we can't put a president's signature on the authorization line, but there's technically no law against putting that same gloriously egotistical EKG readout of a trying too hard to look important John Hancock if John Hancock was desperately insecure autograph on the memo line. Can we do that? It's a clear violation of the spirit of the law, but it does technically satisfy the letter of the law. The letter of the law is all that matters here. After all, our only motivation is letters. Beautiful, needlessly tall, and awkwardly skinny letters. Nobody tell the president we're doing this. He'll hate the idea of potentially receiving more than his fair share of credit for a law he had little to do with by virtue of his signature appearing on people's checks. There's only one problem. In order to add the president's signature to 70 million checks, we have to rewrite a bunch of computer code, which will necessarily cause a delay. There's no delay. But that's impossible. Physically impossible, yes. But there's no law that says it isn't possible, which means it's legally possible because the laws of time and space are not legally binding. So it's settled. Trump's signature will go on the checks because pretty handwriting. And this will not cause a delay because magic. 
thousands of MAGA idiots turned up in Lansing, Michigan to protest their governor's issuance of a stay-at-home order. The inevitable consequences of this incredibly stupid protest are so predictable that Barely Audible Whisper was already able to obtain audio of the future catastrophe that awaits these tragically gullible Fox News-viewing cult-like Trump-worshipping dumbasses. <coughs> the hospital's so crowded. Oh, there must be a thousand George Soros-funded fake sick people here. <coughs> This hoax runs deeper than I thought. We're overwhelmed and understaffed. Stupid Obamacare. So I don't have time to sugarcoat this. By the way, doctor, you should know my husband has several pre-existing medical conditions, but we still have insurance. You appear to be suffering from COVID-19. Are you accusing me of being Chinese? My husband is not a damn Chinese. I don't have anything against the Chinese people except that they invented the Chinese hoax virus that's making Trump look bad. Unfortunately, I can't be sure that it's COVID-19 because we don't have any tests. There are plenty of tests. Everyone who wants a test can get one, but we don't need one because even though the tests are real, the Chinese virus, that is really China's fault that the real test really test for is a hoax. Unfortunately, there's also no known cure. Hydroxychloroquine! Hydroxychloroquine is the real miracle that really cures the fake virus that President Trump really keeps us safe from. So we're going to monitor your progress. I don't need a deep state FISA abusing doctor monitoring my husband like the FBI did to Trump. There's a shortage of beds. That's the governor's fault. So we're gonna have to find a spot for you in the hallway while your wife waits here. <laughs> we don't believe in social distancing. Yeah, America needs to get back to work. The cure is going to be worse than the disease. <laughs> His breathing is labored. Uh, let's hope he holds out until a ventilator becomes available. There's an excess of ventilators. Don't fall for the liberal media's breathless <gasps> ventilator hysteria. <coughs> what's wrong with him? He's got COVID-19. Oh, but what's really wrong with him? COVID-19. Are you accusing my husband of hoaxing? I still say the cure is worse than the disease. <coughs> I'm sorry, ma'am. Your husband is dead. A parent cause of death. COVID-19. But he can't be dead. Coronavirus is a Democrat hoax. My husband voted for Trump. He can't die of a Democrat hoax. Oh, um, oh my God. How could I have been so stupid? My husband was a goddamn secret Democrat. Feel so good. Oh, all of a sudden, I have a fever and an inexplicable desire to shop at Whole Foods. Oh, I might be a goddamn Democrat too.
President Trump and the entire Republican propaganda machine have taken aim at the World Health Organization this week, blaming them for initially putting out misinformation about the novel coronavirus that hastened its spread. That story again, hypocrite president apparently does understand the dangers of misinformation. In undeserved fairness to Trump, the WHO is not blameless, as our semantics expert, Sam Antics, explains. The World Health Organization made two major policy errors in January, as it was still assessing the virus and how it spreads. The first is that they advised against travel restrictions. The second is that they publicly stated a belief that human-to-human transmission of the virus was limited. The semantic clarifications in these statements are crucial, however, and whether intentionally or not, Trump seems oblivious. To highlight them, I'm going to have actor Billy Eichner read the statements and really go for the Oscar on the parts Trump seems to be missing. Statement one. WHO advises against the application of any travel or trade restrictions on China based on the current information available on this event. The current information available makes it clear that this is not an absolute proclamation, but simply their best advice at the moment. Plus, this is from January 5th. They didn't even have a name for it yet. Calm down, Billy. I can read the next one. Statement two. This one's a tweet. Preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the novel coronavirus identified in Wuhan, China. They make it clear that the investigations are preliminary and that these are based on Chinese government investigations. You put together the words preliminary by the Chinese authorities and no clear evidence, and you have a statement everyone knows you should take with a grain of fucking salt. I mean, Jesus Christ, it might as well be preliminary investigations conducted by Philip fucking Morris have found no clear evidence that smoking causes cancer. Take a chill pill, Billy Eichner. So now, Trump, his followers, and propagandists are trying to pivot blame from Trump to the WHO, even though the WHO got much more cautionary and severe in its messaging a full month before Trump ever did. (sighs) Can I do an analogy? Sure, just be careful. I'm worried about your blood pressure. Let's imagine that the US and China are neighbors and there's a fire in China's yard. The WHO is some weak fucking HSA, you know, they have the authority to investigate and make recommendations, but they're ultimately powerless. All the neighbors want to know, hey, that fire back there, it it seems like it might be a problem. So the HSA investigates, but they come back and say, Mr. Xi says it's under control and probably can't spread anywhere. Mr. Trump takes this and tells his whole family it's barely even a fire and there's no risk whatsoever. However, he's always hated Mr. G, so he says he can't come over and borrow the fucking string trimmer anymore. What's the string trimmer in this analogy? I don't know, fucking soybeans or something! So, Mr. Trump's family feels safe and plays outside, and one little spark flies into the Trump's yard, and a leaf catches on fire. Mr. Trump's family goes, hey, should we be worried? And the HSA says, Yeah, it turns out we were wrong and fire does spread pretty easily, so take precautions. But Mr. Trump has to appear in control and he's worried about the family 
budget instead of the human beings and his family. I don't follow that either. Budget, economy. But that doesn't make sense in this analogy. Ever the fucking semanticist. That's my job, so. The fire starts spreading to other parts of the yard, so finally, Mr. Trump allowed somebody to come out with a fire extinguisher, but we're way past that being effective. And all the other houses are on fire too. Mrs. Merkel's lovely Bavarian cottage, Mr. Abe's bonsai garden, Mr. Boris Johnson is literally on fire himself, and Trump's family is like, hey dad, you fucked up. We kind of don't want you to be dad anymore. And he goes nuts and tries to make it the HSA's fault. He says, they said it was the safest fire ever. And they say that doesn't make any sense because of course it doesn't. But Mr. Trump somehow manages to get his whole fucking family to believe him when he's done nothing but lie and manipulate his entire goddamn life. Okay, Billy Eichner, I really think your analogy is becoming hazardous to your health. It's your fault for not warning me. I did warn you. You said I should go ahead with my analogy. But I did caution you about your blood pressure, didn't I? You're a liar, Sam Antics, and my high blood pressure is all your fault. It is not. I know, that was another analogy. Monday, Fox News reported that President Trump's new economic recovery task force would include President Trump's daughter and sex fantasy, Ivanka Trump. I'm daddy's favorite because my breasts are perkier than his wife's. And Ivanka's husband and real-life portrait of Dorian Gray, Jared Kushner. Give me money! Later that same day, President Trump denied that either Ivanka or Jared would be on the task force. Given that Fox News and Donald Trump are both equally terrible sources of accurate information, we have no way of knowing which unreliable account is true. And since the truth will likely be known by the time you are listening to this... And since we have a really bad history of being really wrong when we try to predict things like this... We decided to portray the White House strategy session that might have taken place in between the release of the Fox News story and President Trump's public denial of the claims made by said story. I want to be on daddy's task force. Give me money. Look, no one wants human greed and perky tits on this task force more than the president, but it looks bad politically. Acting Chief of Staff Mark Meadows is right. We all want to use this task force to steal as much money as possible. Unfortunately, the nepotism and inherent conflicts of interest associated with Jared and Ivanka will raise too much suspicion, thus making it harder for us to steal. Shut up, Treasury Secretary Minochin, you big-lipped pussy. All I have to do is scream a bunch of drunken conspiratorial nonsense, and I'll spin this conflict of interest into another Democratic hoax. Thanks, Judge Janine Pirro. Women who work have to stick together. Give me money. Jared makes a fair point, but we have to be careful not to make the stealing too obvious. I don't want to end up resigning in disgrace like Rick Perry, or Ryan Zinke, or Tom Price, or Alex Acosta, or Michael Flynn, 
or Ronnie Jackson, or Scott Pruitt, or Rob Porter, or- That's exactly why we need Jared and Ivanka, you slut with from Willy Wonka looking idiot. Trump and his children are untouchable. The rest of you useless sycophants are more expendable to the president than a COVID patient in a retirement home. As Trump's fourth chief of staff in three years, I resent that statement. I am a champion for every woman who has ever been handed everything, but through sheer force of denial and a complete lack of self-awareness, manages to insist that she's worked hard for every opportunity that fell into her lap because her father wanted to fall into her lap. Oh, delusional greed makes me horny. My presence on this task force will serve as an inspiration to every spoiled little princess of today who will grow up to become the entitled rich bitches of tomorrow. I'll drink to that. Then again, I'll drink to anything. Feminists that miss the entire point of feminism make me horny. I don't know. The truth is I have no idea what my actual job is supposed to be because the president has fired every chief of staff who did what the chief of staff's job is supposed to be precisely for doing the job that the chief of staff is supposed to be doing. Give me money. That part I understand. President Trump wants to put this country back to work before it's safe to go back to work. Who better represents the delusion of the value of hard work at the expense of the people who actually do the work than Jared and Ivanka? As best I can figure it, my job is to protect the president from bad PR? What do the goddamn Puerto Ricans have to do with anything? He threw paper towels at him. What more do those ingrates want? I meant public relations. From a public relations standpoint, this is bad. Therefore, I'm against it. Unless the president tells me I'm for it. Give me money. Good idea, Jared. I've got two reasons why you should put me on the task force, Mr. Meadows. Put your breast away, Ivanka. That won't work on me. I'm not your father. I think we should hear her out. Yeah, of course you do. Here's what we're going to do. Give me money. Obviously, I'm going to advise the president to say that Jared and Ivanka won't be on the task force. And we'll see how it plays from our PR perspective. The Puerto Ricans are good at baseball. If we don't reopen the baseball seasons, the Puerto Ricans won't get to play at all. If the public relations go well enough, the president can put you on the task force, contradicting what he already said, like he always does. Uh, otherwise, he'll have to keep you off the task force and steal on your behalf. But I'm an independent woman who works. I can steal all by myself. Give me money. You're right, Jared. A family that steals together stays together. And family is the most important thing. Money. Thank you for listening to Barely Audible Whisper, made possible by the following people, writer, co-host, and producer Dave Baldwin, co-host and actress Molly Brown, writer and actor Daniel Carter Brown, and actors Ali Glonick and Michael Morgan. Please check out our website, barelyaudiblewhisper.com, follow us on social media, and subscribe to us either at our website or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. We appreciate your support.